Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It's September 1st, 2023, and this is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on Twitter at Jason underscore OTC. Um, really won't find me on threads. Uh, that that thing is uh, pretty much dead, but if you want to look for me there, it's at Over the Cap. Um, maybe I'll check it out during the season at some point, but uh, interface there just really wasn't working too well. So um, really haven't used it. Uh, joined by Nelly the Bunny. Nelly, anything. Yeah, Nellie's just happy with a treat. Um, got a little southern tier here tonight. I thought I had a couple of these, but apparently I don't have too many. So we're really going to nurse through the beers tonight. Um, I don't think this will go too, too long, uh, but we'll see. But I, I don't think I have too many questions this week. So it'll mainly be just the uh, main stuff going over. So I haven't done a podcast in a couple of weeks. Um, was going to do one a couple of weeks ago. And something came up. I don't remember exactly what it was. I think we went out and once again, um, Jacob decided, even though he originally said no, no, he was no fortnighting. Uh, I think he changed his mind when a couple of his friends said, hey, we're going to do fortnight. They didn't last too long, but by then I decided it was about time to go to sleep and just kind of put it off. And then we were on vacation the last um, last two weekends, um, I guess. We were down at Disney. So uh had a good time down there. I know there's a lot of people who enjoy going down to Disney, but uh, yeah, we had a good time. The kids enjoyed it, um, so it was good for them, I guess, to to get that in before school, since school has already started. And uh, yeah, I mean, Megan's dance starts up, and uh, Jacob's doing football this year, so we've already been doing practices for that for the last I don't know month, month and a half, or maybe maybe. Um, and at this first year, doing tackle. So uh, every now and then, I post some pictures online. They're scrimmage this week, so. Um, put that on there but that uh that takes up a lot of time so um we'll see but anyway um you know that that was just uh kind of catching up with the things that i've got going on here so i think today the the main stuff i really wanted to go over was um kind of some of these holdout situations or contract situations that are going on in the nfl uh the chris jones one is the one that i find the most interesting and that's the one that i really wanted to focus on a couple of weeks ago and just never got around to it uh so hopefully you know, today we can get into that one a little bit. Uh, Mike Evans came out today, and his his agent came out, and you know they're not threatening a holdout or anything like that. Just uh, basically want it to be out there on the public record, like they're desperately trying to get an extension. And it doesn't sound like the Buccaneers have even made him an offer. And you know, I, I think the situations with him and Jones are pretty comparable. There's some differences between the two. Um, you know, stay the franchise. Obviously, the Buccaneers are in a um, you know, a rebuilding mode, uh, whereas the, the Chiefs are in one of these prime windows to win a Super Bowl. Uh, but in terms of the, the players themselves, you know, it, it's a it's a pretty reasonable um, uh, I, I guess it's a it's a pretty reasonable comparison. I, I think when you look at the situations and you look at what you should be expecting um, from both of those players. The other one that's the big news is Nick Bosa. And the Nick Bosa one is that that's a very different situation. I'm really surprised that that one hasn't sorted its way out yet. Um, honestly, I, I would have figured that all of these, um, you know, not not the Mike Evans one. I kind of figured the Chris Jones one would have been um, done by now, but that didn't happen either. Um, so we're not going on to Twitter yet here. Let's just do a uh, let's just do a Chris Jones search here. I just want to pull him up. I'll go to his Pro Football Reference page here, um, just to pull up some 
relevant stats and everything else. But, um, you know, the, the meat of the stuff that you want to get into with the contracts here, and th this is really, I think, what a lot of this boils down to, um, you look at this big gap that's in the market, and th this is going to apply to Nick Bosa as well. And we, we I, I did something on Nick Bosa a couple of weeks ago, so I don't think we'll get into that one too too much because it's just going to be rehashing the same stuff over you know valuation of a player and everything else. But you know you, you've got this big difference here where you've got Aaron Donald at thirty one seven, and then you got Quinn and Williams at twenty four, and you know, it's a giant gap, and you can go to your edge rushers, and the edge rushers are closer to that 24, right? we got a 28, a 27, a 25, and then we're at 23.5. So, you know, the, the market on the defensive players where we've kind of blurred this line now between your edge rushers and your defensive tackles, um, even though the, the edge rushers as a whole are going to earn a little bit more, um, you know, you, you've got a market that Chris Jones probably doesn't fit that well into. Um, if you're the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, it's very hard to come up with a, a logical number that probably makes both sides happy. Um, you know, I've said before, if I was Chris Jones, the lowest number I think you could settle for is about $28 million a year. And the number you're probably aiming for is about $30 million. You know, if you, you go back to um, the contract history or something like that for him, you look at where he was, if you peg him to Aaron Donald, which is basically what they did the last time, um, you know, Aaron Donald was at 22.5. Let me see. I should have, uh, I should just pull up contract history here, but um, I'll just pull up Donald's here. Yeah, he was 22.5 and Chris Jones came in at 20, right? Chris Jones here at uh 20 a year is where he's on his current deal. So very different structures between the two contracts. Like Chris Jones's um, cash flow on his is very steady. You know, if, if you looked at these numbers, you can easily see why Kansas City did this deal when they had him franchise tagged. It's basically the franchise tag was the payment the first year, 21.5, 23.6, 20 million. And you compare that to Aaron Donald, um, you know, in the, the first couple of years of his extension, which was, Signed in 2018. Now he was still under a rookie contract. Forty million dollars in the in the first year, you know, nine million, seventeen, nineteen, you know, and then uh, when he gets the the new deal done, you know, thirty one five, twenty eight five, and thirty five. So very different structures in the way that the money was paid out on the two contracts, but the annual value of the deals came pretty similar. So I, I think logic would dictate that if he was worth at that point in time $2 million or so a year less than Aaron Donald, you would expect the same to hold true here. Um, whether you want to look at that as $2 million a year less, uh, even though I think Chris Jones is probably higher regarded now, at least off of what he did last season, than where he was a couple of years ago when he signed that deal back in uh, 2020. Um you know, you can do it on a percentage basis and you'll probably come out to being $28 million a year. I think that's where I kind of came up with the low figure. But I think $30 million is the number that, you know, probably makes him happy. Um, it makes it work. But the situation that, that hits with Kansas City, and th this is true of all teams, this isn't just a Kansas City thing. Um, 
you know, there's uh, maybe I shouldn't say all teams. There's a couple of teams, um, you know, that uh, that don't kind of fit that mold. The Rams being one of them. Uh, Brad made a pretty good point, I think, on Twitter today. Um, I don't remember if it was a reply to a comment that I made. I think it was where he said basically the Rams screwed it up for everybody. And it was true. You know, the Rams did these deals that really didn't make any sense at all for Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup. Um, it was that post-Super Bowl euphoria hangover. It's a love fest. These guys are saying they want new deals. Let's just get a deal done. Um, you know, we're paying them in part because we want a Super Bowl. We want to thank them for that. That that's a that's an oddity in the NFL to have that happen. And not only did they create kind of these outlier contracts, um, you know, you, you can see the cup one here, which is a legitimate, you know, th these numbers aren't legitimate for Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams. You have Cooper Cup at 26-7. Tyreek Hill's real number is like 24-25. Adams is like 22-23. Um, you know, if you take out the funny money on the back end of those deals. So really, you've got the Rams doing that with a couple of players in the league and, you know, it throws everybody off. And not only does it kind of set a market that's too high, I think, for a lot of the other teams to deal with. Um, the other issue is that Aaron Donald was hurt most of this season. Cooper Cup was hurt most of last season. Looks like he's hurt again this year. So you're looking at players whose peak performance was prior to the contract extension. And whether it's fair or not, you're paying for future performance when you sign a player. You're not really paying for past performance. Um, you know, when you're trying to determine, um, you know, for a player, one of the things that you kind of try to look at is what's an expected value of the player, right? What What is the career expected value of a player? And you, you can go just using salary information, um, if you want to do that, you can go all the way to when a player is a rookie, all right? And based on where that player is drafted, you're going to come up with a number as to what that player is worth, right? We, we do that when we do our trade calculator, right? We, we've basically converted every single draft pick into a salary slot. Um, you know, the first pick in the draft is worth this. And if you, if you use it on a quarterback, um, you know, that expected value might be, you know, the market's changed a bit, but might be something like $40 million. Um, you know, something like a top five quarterback is what you would expect. It to, so it's probably more like $45 million. Um, you know, and you can track that kind of career history and say, okay, you know, that that's what he's worth. Um, but obviously it takes time to get to that value, right? You, as a rookie, your rookie performance is pretty low. Um, you know, you, your performances over time are going to get better and better. And then you, you kind of hit these peak seasons. So when you're coming up with making your teams and setting your valuations and everything else, part of what you're trying to determine is what's that value that's left in that player. And let's just say Chris Jones has given you last year $30 million in performance. Let's just, let's just say that Aaron Donald contract is legitimate. Let's say he's giving you $32 million in performance. What are the odds that he's going to repeat that performance next year and the year after that and possibly the year after that one? I don't think you would look at Chris Jones 
and say to yourself, you know, Chris Jones is going to be 29 this year, right? 29. Um, when's his birthday? Yeah, so it's legitimate 29. It's not like an end of the season thing. So he's going to be 29 years old. And that means his extension technically kicks in when he's 30. All right, because he's a, he's already under contract this year. Um, so his extension kicks in when he's 30 years old. What are the odds, if we assume the first two years of that deal are virtually guaranteed, the first two new years of the deal wind up virtually guaranteed, what are the odds, let's say they do a relatively straight-line payout, that it's not, again, it's not going to be the Aaron Donald craziness um, you know, with some of the salary numbers there. What are the odds that he's going to give you $60 million in value at 30 years old and 31 years old? The percentages on that are going to be pretty low. Um, you know, I just pulled up some basic numbers uh, from Pro Football Reference from their StatHead platform, um, where I just wanted to look at a couple of different filters for players who were 30 plus years of age uh, at the end of a season um, that I would consider an interior defensive lineman. Um, you know, and I, I believe the filter I used on this, I, I did the, I ran these um, a couple of weeks ago uh, before we left for Disney when I thought I was going to sneak that podcast in. Uh, but I believe it was from, I know it's from at least 2013 on, but I think it's 2013. I think it's, um, usually I try to peg everything to the beginning of OTC and, um, you know, just trying to work through that. So, you know, the most basic filter of all how many players are we getting at least 60% of the defensive snaps from that are interior linemen? Kyle Williams gave you four years. Fletcher Cox has given you three. Cameron Hayward's three. Sue was two. Linville Joseph was two. Corey Peters is two, and he's still going. Tom Johnson, Colin Jenkins, Geno Atkins. Um, you know, you, you look at all these players. Uh, you know, Gerald McCoy, I mean, he was a great player. Um, Aaron Donald, obviously, is just gotten there now um you know he's still active um i think i gotta turn off this i think i got a fan running here hold on i'll be uh i'm gonna not even bother pausing this i'm just gonna jump and turn that off uh, hopefully that'll kick off it's uh i, I didn't even realize that that was on at the you know, a dehumidifier running down here. And uh, I didn't even know that that was connected up. So I just turned it off. We'll see if it kicks off. If not, I'll try again and see what's uh, what's going on with it. Um, so anyway, you know, we're looking at 60% uh, of the snaps here. And, you know, that's, that's a very basic, um, you know, threshold to reach. And, you know, it's not even a lot of players that we have in the last couple of years that we can look at and say they're even playing 60% of the snaps. If you're not playing at least 60% of the defensive snaps for a team, in no way, shape, or form are you worth $30 million a year. It's just not even remotely the case. Um, you know, that, that that would be the case here. Hmm. <coughs> All right, that finally kicked off. Sorry about that. Um, you know, so we don't even have a lot of players that we can look at. Uh, we're looking at, what, 20, 25 players 
um, who had one season and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine players who had, I don't even know why I'm counting them. The numbers are right on the side. <laughs> you know, nine, nine players who had multiple years so far of 60% or more defensive snaps. Uh, Pro Bowls. And, you know, your name value kind of players, um, you would think that that's the easiest way that you can get to the Pro Bowl. And we've got 10 players who have made a Pro Bowl after the age of 30, um, you know, at this position. Now, got a couple players who've made it multiple times, right? Kyle Williams, Cam Jordan, Clayus Campbell, Cam Hayward. So it's not like you can't do it. Um, again, it's just saying that, okay, out of all of these players, and you, you go back in time where you look at the, the contract history, um, you know, of the defensive, of some of these defensive tackles, and, you know, let, let me actually pull those up. Let's get off the, the Aaron Donald page here. And, um, you know, let, let's go to uh, defensive tackles here, interior defensive line. Um you know, and we, we just look at players, you know, Sue is not on that list. J.J. Watt, I don't think, was there. If he was there, he was there one time. Um, Richard Seymour wasn't there. Uh, Randall doesn't fit that. Muhammad Wilkerson certainly was not there. Darius wasn't there. I mean, th these are all your biggest contracts. Fletcher Cox was there, I think, one time. Um, Gerald McCoy, I don't think, was there. Lodi Nada wasn't there, I don't believe. Um you know, so, uh, you know, it, it's not it's not a big group. And you do have a number of players who were, you know, really exceptional football players. And, you know, the performance just tailed off. And then the last thing I want to look at was sacks. And I, I know sacks are kind of a fluky thing. It was just going to be more of a pain, actually, to do a pressure search. I would have used PFF more for that. And I just didn't have the time to, uh, to put that all together. But, again, it's safe to say that, if you're not, if, if you're earning that kind of money and you're not somehow getting eight sacks out of it, um, nobody is going to look at you as worth the money. No matter, no matter how much you want to say that you're impacting the game in other ways, you're getting eight bazillion pressures. They just don't happen to be converting. Um, you know, if you're not hitting this kind of number, you're not really going to be looked at as being that game changing kind of talent. So again, who do we have here? It's Hayward and Jordan with three seasons apiece. Uh, Campbell with two. Jason Hatcher had one. J.J. Watt had one. Aaron Donald has one and counting. Uh, Kyle Williams had one. I think that was when he was 30. Um, you know, and Geno Atkins is one. So again, we, we don't have like the, this huge rich history of players that are producing at that kind of level, especially as they get older, um, you know, when they're playing. And I understand that when you look at these things, it's very easy to focus on today. It's very easy to focus on, well, what is the importance of Chris Jones to us today, this particular season? But you're running an organization, you're running a team your job is to plan for the next two to three years. It's not like it was in the past where teams really operated in like a five-year window. The, the, you, even though the Chiefs have a lot of leeway, their front office, you just don't have that anymore. Um, but you're planning in two and three-year windows. 
And even though the salary cap is going to go up and you're going to say, well, you know, the salary cap is going to go up, it still really doesn't matter. Um, you know, if you have a $30 million defensive tackle and he's declining performance and everyone else in the league has a $24 million defensive tackle or a little bit less than that, and that's, let's say, steady performance. And then you've got a number of players who are, um, you know, playing closer to the minimum levels who are giving you the highest level performance, that's a negative, right? Everybody's going to have the same salary cap situation. So that becomes a negative, um, even if you want to look at it in a, in a vacuum and go, well, as a percentage of the cap, it's not that bad. You're still at a disadvantage to the other teams in the league. And that's really what you want to compare yourself to. It's not so much comparing it to this salary cap number, whatever that number might be. It's how you're going to compare with the rest of the the teams in the NFL. Um, Because if you're putting yourself at a competitive disadvantage, it doesn't really help you. And this is one of the reasons why with the Chiefs, they they probably balked at um, Tyreek Hill over a certain dollar figure. Because the odds are that Tyreek Hill is going to be declining performance versus um, improving or maintaining that level of play. Um, now, it, Chris Jones's um, number is pretty high. If they were to tag him, it'd be a hundred and twenty percent of his salary cap number this year, which I think is like twenty eight. Yeah, twenty eight three. So. Um, you know, it's a little bit less than that. They they won't include the workout or the likely to be earned incentives in there. Um, you know, so so you take out one seven five. It's still a big number. Um, but again, if he's looking for a thirty million dollar a year contract, you know, you're better bet if you're the Chiefs. Um, you know, if I'll just do this on a salary cap basis, would be to, you know, spend the uh, what is that twenty eight point two nine one this year on him and whoops it'd be a little less than that but let's say it ends up being 32 um what was it it was actually this what did i say that was 175 so it'd be 30 yes 32 31.85 million next year so if you look at it that way it's a no-risk proposition for you, right? You you determine, okay, how did he play this year? If he's still giving you $30 million of performance, well, you franchise tag him at 32. <clears throat> and that's, you know, it, it's probably less or very similar. Actually, no, it, it's probably going to be less than what you would pay on an extension um, by structuring it that way. And it gives you all the, the decision-making power as to um, whether or not you want to guarantee that $32 million. Because you can either guarantee it sight unseen in 2023, or you can guarantee it after the 2023 season to say, well, you know, can he duplicate what he did last year? Um, you know, or is he going to go back to just being a um, really good defensive tackle or great defensive tackle versus a spectacular defensive tackle like he was last year. Um, <clears throat> you don't have an option to tag him the third time, just to keep that in mind. If, if anybody has put that out there, I don't know if anybody has. Um, you know, but it, it, this number here, 
where you can just opt into it, you know, I, I would look at this as saying, well, the Chiefs have him under contract this year for $28.291 million, and they can opt into the deal next year at 32. I look at that as a much better scenario than saying, okay, they can reduce his cap figure this year, which they need to do. The, the Chiefs right now have the worst cap situation in the league. Um, once I switch things over to the 50 three man the, the full rosters they're about eight million over so th this is the most logical place for them to make cap space but um you know the way that i would look at this is i would say you know it, you're better in this situation than say having him at a cap number of 16 million dollars this year 28 million dollars this year uh, next year and then being locked into him the following year at a cap hit of something like 35 and then having to deal with whatever dead money the year after that because, you know, the assumption would be that, um, you know, at that point he's probably going to be done. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's just one of those situations where you, know, you say neither side is wrong. You know, he's not wrong in the fact that he wants to maximize his value and this is the best. He'll never have a, a better time to do it than where he was last year. Um, he had a great season, arguably the best year of his career. And he became a focus during their run, along obviously with Mahomes, but as like a, a key featured player. Um, you know, so you try to use that leverage by holding out and hoping that, that that drives something. Now, he will forfeit for each week he misses a pretty significant amount of money. So, you know, he's got all these fines, which, you know, they, they can always pay to get rid of. But, um, you know, he's going to give up $1.08 million each week if he actually holds out past the regular season. Um, the way this works on the cap, I got a lot of questions about it. Every week that he misses, um, his cap number here will change by that 1.08 million. Now, here's another thing to keep in mind. When those numbers reduce, that also reduces the number on the franchise tag the next year. So in many ways, he's probably shooting himself in the foot by not, um, you know, not going in at least during week one. Um, you know, I, I think the hope at this point would be if you were just going to come back, if, if you're not, you know, really stuck on a holdout, holdout, um, you know, I, I think what you would be doing at that point in time is coming in, um, you know, and basically saying, look, I'll come back if you give me a roster bonus or a per game bonus or something in there that will equal all the fine money that was generated by me missing training camp. Um, <coughs> whatever that number is. Uh, you know, I, I think that that would be the, right now the um, the thing that would have to get done to bring him in, or maybe a small raise or something like that. Just e even beyond that point, um, you know, for the year to to do that. But you know, he he doesn't really have a lot of leverage, and that that's gonna hurt um, with the way that the the salary cap I'm sorry the franchise tag is going to be calculated for him next year if he starts to miss football games um you know so that those things all kind of come into play um you know whether whether you want to think that that's important or not important um 
you know, that's what it is. But one of the problems I, I think that players face with these holdouts, and, you know, this is, I'll, I'll use Jones more as the example because the Chiefs are a good football team, whereas the Buccaneers, not so much. And I think the same applies to Nick Bosa here too. You try to stretch out some of these holdouts. And the reason that you're doing it is you're hoping that something happens to the team that makes them realize that they're missing a vital part of the, of the team, vital part of the organization. I think the problem is that that strategy just doesn't work anymore in the NFL. Um, teams have pretty much wised up to the fact that with the exception of the quarterback, almost every other player is expendable. Um, you know, obviously you're, you're trying to keep certain guys, you're, you're trying to keep certain players, uh, you're, you're trying to get them in that, that window when they're still kind of in their primes, you know, year four, five, maybe six um, of their careers. But if the team is doing poorly, it, let, let's say if San Francisco is doing poorly this year, Nobody is going to look at San Francisco and say San Francisco is doing poorly because Nick Bosa is not on the field. They're going to say San Francisco is doing poorly because the quarterback stinks. You know that that's really what it is. Um, you know they, they're going to have Brock Purdy in there, and I don't know where people are under this impression like he's a all pro level player. Um, you know he, he had a nice little run last year, but you know there, there's no guarantee. Um, did he play any better than Mac Jones played two years ago? Probably not. Um, you know, their other option is Sam Darnold. I mean, that that's not exactly a great option either. Um, so, I mean, the blame or the whether it's the the blame or the the credit, it's going to go on that quarterback. It's not going to be that. Okay, we're zero and two, and we're in a panic. We need to bring in Nick Bosa. That's going to save our season. Like, no, that that's not going to be the case. Maybe in week ten. No, it's like, well, yeah, let let's get Bosa back if we're going to be in the playoffs. Let's get Jones back if we're going to be in the playoffs. But if the Chiefs are doing poorly, let's say that they they have a weird start to the season and they're doing poorly, nobody is going to look at that as we're losing because of the defense and. If we brought Chris Jones here, the defense would magically be great. And it would save us because we'd have another pass rusher. It just, it doesn't happen anymore. There's just very few players, non-quarterback players, who are looked at, um, you know, as those as that type of talent. Uh, you know, systems, in many ways, trump the individual players. Um, but just by and large, I mean, you just get a lot of turnover in the NFL. You know, when, when you go back and you look at so many of these positions and you look at who were the highest paid players, you know, three years ago, um, you know, a lot of those players are out of the league. You know, and they, these are guys that when they sign their contracts, you know, the, the usual stuff comes out. It's like, man, they're set at that position for the next five years. It's like, come on, you should be around long enough to know that's not the case. But you know that that's how it gets reported on, and that's the, those are the honest opinions that come out um, when those deals are signed. And you know the majority of the players simply don't last that long. I think Nick came up with 
I know for the free agency guide that we did a couple of years ago, it was a very low number, but he, he did a more inclusive search. Um, you know, like 76% of players are pretty much gone after year three, um, you know, their contracts. I think it was something like that. It's very few players that make it to the back end of those deals. Um, you know, and it's just, that's the way the NFL works. You know, the, the way the league works is the players are good for a short period of time. And as soon as they begin to tail off, um, they're pretty much cut or they're traded away. It's a, it's a very different league than in the past. And, you know, I, I think one of the problems that faces Evans and faces Jones and, you know, e- Evans' situation, it, it's the same exact thing as Chris Jones. Like, we, we want to make him a buccaneer for life. It's like there's very few players that are any team for life, all right? Tom Brady didn't finish with the Patriots. Peyton Manning didn't finish with the Colts. Um, you know, there's very few players that are a, a player for life on an individual team. Second thing was, you know, he's got five or six good years left. I mean, come on. I mean, the, the odds of that are really, really, really low. And he's a great player. Um, but, you know, you, you're, you're selling a bill of goods that not many people are going to buy into. And certainly no smart front office is going to buy into that and be like, yeah, th- this guy is such an outlier like yeah he's going to give us he's going to continue to give us thousand plus yards a year you know until he's like 35 years old <clears throat> you know just doesn't happen not going to happen um but the the problem really lies in the fact that on the agent side of things i don't think the player side the agent side the union side has kept up with the trends in the way that teams are kind of looking at players. I think that a lot of people are still stuck in the past. I think a lot of people are still stuck in what worked through, say, 2013, 2014, maybe 2015. Basically, once the once teams settled into this new rookie contract system, the rules completely changed. Everything was thrown out. Before that, the rules that were involved were, were very different. Um, you know, I, know, I know this is going way back in time, but when you go, you know, back in the day, um, the way that most people looked at these contracts was that they looked at what was called a three-year number, three-year annual value, a three-year APY, just a three-year cash, however you wanted to, to look at it. And the reason for that was the structure of the contracts at the time were basically big signing bonus, big option bonus. You had such a sunk cost in the player. You know, after two years, you might have 70% of the entire contract paid out. Um, So you had a sunk cost in there. You had a dead money aspect of it that made it difficult to release the player. So year three was a virtual guarantee. Now we're we're talking about the highest end, the high end players here. We're not talking about the lower, lower end guys. Um, So... Everybody was was gaming, the, trying to game the system to get these long-term deals in there. Uh, for the team side, it was for proration purposes. Um, for the player side, it was in some ways to bloat the value, but it was also to get those three-year numbers up. You know, sometimes the longer term you're willing to give up, the better cash terms that you're going to get as a player. Um, you know, on the front end of those deals. 
So what happened was you had a number of players in the league signing these long-term deals. And many players would last for a long time simply because that's what teams did. They didn't rely on the rookies. They didn't have faith in them. The coaches specifically didn't have faith in them. Um, you know, it was under this concept of, well, you know, it probably takes at least two years to develop a rookie. We're not really expecting to get a lot out of them until year three. Um, I'd rather have my veterans out there. I'd rather have them playing. And, you know, the league has really gotten a lot younger now. And contracts back then were not structured to release players. Contracts today are structured to get out of these deals ASAP. So, you know, the, the system has changed a lot. And kind of what happened was the old system, nobody focused on guarantees. There, there was nothing guaranteed in the contract beyond the signing bonus uh, for the most part. Now you have all this focus that's on the guaranteed salary. So that that's kind of removed the signing bonus part from the equation. But the signing bonus gave you kind of this dead money protection, sort of the way that the cap stuff was structured. But in large part, some of those structures were created because of the rookie contracts that were coming in where you didn't really have control over the way the salary cap broke down on those players. And those players did have guaranteed salaries um, along with the, the bonuses that were in the deal. So those players were not movable. So you drafted a bust and you were stuck with that player for like four years. Um, but the other issue, when you did sign these long-term deals, with the exception of a couple of these quarterbacks that signed ridiculously long-term deals that were like 10 years long because they, they all wanted to say that they were a $100 million player, um, which was just the silliest thing in the world. Because what happened was eventually they started to see their values go down. What happened was very different. It took a lot of time for the market to reset. Um, you know, in that era, rookie deals were six years at the top of the draft, five years bottom half of the first round, and they were either four or three years thereafter. Um, most of your money came from those first round players. So if they were under contract for six years and the franchise tag was always a possibility, you, know, you might be looking at not getting your extension until, you know, you've already got seven years under your belt. You know, think about that. Nowadays, after seven years, you're out of the league. Back then, you know, you were, you might have... Um, you know, just gotten your first contract. Let, let me look up Eric Berry. Eric Berry was probably the last of the the old contract guys to get a long-term deal. So you can look at this here. He was drafted in 2010, okay? So six-year contract, one, two, three, four, five, six. He was franchise tagged one time, so that's seven years. And then the Chiefs got into this ridiculous extension. You know, teams would never do this nowadays. But again, it was like that leftover, um, leftover from the old era kind of deal to where you, you you did this. You know, six, sorry, I got the things wrong there. Six, one, six. Um, you know, you, you would never do a deal like this nowadays. But because these deals ran so long, right off the bat as rookies, it took a long time for the markets to reset. 
you know, and it wasn't so much a game, a leapfrog. Like if Peyton Manning was the highest paid player, you needed to have a quarterback selected somewhere in the first round that was highly successful to, to pass Peyton Manning. And even if those players were successful, it still might take them six, seven years, you know, to jump those figures. So when you go back and you look at some of these contracts here, you know, like a Chris Jones deal, you know, he signed this deal in 2020 for $20 million a year. It now looks crazy a couple of years later when all these players who are inferior players to him, quite honestly, um, you know, are up at 24. And you've got Donald at 32, who again is the guy that he was basically pegged to a couple of years ago. In the old system, you would never get this kind of disparity that impacts it. And it's it's even more blatant with the wide receiver one, right? You got to go all the way down here to Mike Evans. Now, I knew when Evans signed this deal, like this was not a good one for him. It was just too low for his productivity at the time. But, you know, you look at where he's at, look at all these guys who surpassed him. Never, ever, ever would have happened in the old system, not to this extent, not to, if we call this the top of the market at 26.7, not to that extent. It just, it wouldn't have happened. So a lot of these guys are still negotiating, I think, some of these deals as if it's 2010 or 2011 and not 2023. And, you know, th this is kind of the issue that more and more players are going to have to deal with with doing these contracts. The fact is, when you sign these long-term deals, you're giving all the leverage to the team. Like, you have no leverage in a contract. There's zero Right? The player has zero leverage. You know, they, they they sign a contract, they get protection, so the team takes on risk, right, for the, the front end of that deal. You are giving up everything on the back end of the contract. You know, the teams are only going to guarantee you two, maybe three years on the deal, depending on if it's an extension versus a free agent contract. Free agent will probably get two years guaranteed and then a vesting guarantee for the third. Uh, extended players will probably get... Um, three years worth of guarantees, two new extension years plus, you know, something over over the existing years as well. Um, you know, that that's basically the way the structures work. So once you go beyond those years, everything starts to slide in the favor of the team. They control your fate and they can continue to opt into your contract. And because you never even got to a franchise tag in the first place, yeah, they can control you if you're one of these guys, these rare players who excel through that second contract, they can still control your rights. And, you know, they can tag you. You know, just like I said, the Chiefs could do with Chris Jones or, you know, the Buccaneers could do with Mike Evans. So it doesn't make a lot of sense um, for many of the players to sign really for more than three years. So... Here's the one thing that I would say, since we focus so much on guarantees now, I, I, we, we over-focus on guarantees. It's a, it's a bad way to evaluate contracts a lot of times. But one of the things that we've seen with the couple of players who have gotten these shorter-term deals, um, the guarantees on the contract 
aren't really following the length of the contract. So what I mean by that is you have Tyreek Hill on a two, really it's a three-year deal, 72-2 total guarantee, 52 at signing. Uh, Cooper Cup at 75, injury 35 at signing. Stefan Diggs was 30, I'm sorry, 70 and 48. Um, Devontae Adams is a three-year deal, 65 and 22. And then you go to Amari Cooper at a five-year deal with 60. DK Metcalf on a three is 58. Debo Samuel, 58. A.J. Brown, he's at four, and that's an iffy four, at 56. And yeah, Mike Evans, now this is a long time ago, but at 55. So, and then you, you can do this with a lot of these different positions. One of the things that's been the case that I've seen is even when players are signing three-year contracts, their guaranteed salary um, and really, I should be looking at the new guarantees. I'm too lazy to bring up the chart um, because the new guarantees will take out some of that old money that's in there and get, give a better perspective um, where you compare them. The thing that I've noticed is that even though a player is only signed for three years, the team is still willing to guarantee two years of the contract. And the two-year guarantee is very similar to the guarantee that a team is giving on a five-year deal. Now, maybe your injury protection won't be as much for some of the highest level players because they might get injury protection that goes into year three, um, maybe even a tiny bit into year four. Obviously, if you have a three-year contract, that's not going to be the case. But if your main concern is how much is guaranteed at signing and how much is kind of injury protected from a realistic standpoint, um, you're getting the same number on the three-year deal. The, the thing that you're missing out on if you're a player and you sign for three years is your earnings over a three-year period are probably not going to be as high. Um, now th this one's a little rougher to look at here for this particular position because all these contracts are pretty recent. Um, you know, so th this one's a little bit harder to, to compare. Um, you know, some of these players, I'm trying to see if I can find a better position where we've got some recent deals that are a little bit longer here. I mean, there's so much leapfrog being played here. I can't even really compare Crosby because he's so much lower. Not really a lot of good examples even to to, to just bear this out. Um, you know, in general, what happens is that when, when you sign a three-year deal... Um, typically what, what happens is the team will do the three year to match a annual value on a contract. Like, uh, Leonard Williams might be an example of that. Like he signed for three that got him to 21 million, which was the high point in the league, um, for a little bit of time. But if you look like now that this is a pretty, pretty close number here, but DeForest Buckner over three years actually makes more than Leonard Williams, even though Leonard Williams tied him for the annual value. Um, it was just simply because the Giants could stop, you know, at three years, um, you know, so they didn't have to worry about that. So, um, you know, and if you go beyond that, and they, these players are earning more, but, you know, 67.5, you know, compared to 63. Um, but the, the main gist of it is that when you sign for f four or five years, often you can negotiate more money up front in a contract than someone that signs kind of a three-year deal. 
Um, yeah, the Williams one. The Williams one is probably a good example of that. Buckner, you know, got 28 in the first year. There's 26 for Williams. Uh, Buckner through three is 63.75. Williams is at 63. Um, that happens a lot. Not, you know, not not all the time. And it depends on the player. It depends on the position, everything else. But um, more often than not, that's kind of what you give up as a player if you kind of push for that three-year contract. But when you're one of these players who does excel, um, you know, and does kind of go above and beyond the expectation level, um, you know, that, that, that's afforded to you by someone like me, um, you know, as to, to how long you're going to play for, how long you're going to perform for. You don't want to be in a contract that's more than three years. You just don't. Because the way the league pushes the salaries, you're going to feel grossly underpaid years four, year five. And you're giving up tons of earning potential because when you could be going back to the negotiating table and you know bringing your contract up to the current number, um, you know it, it just that opportunity doesn't exist for you unless you're someone like Donald who somehow got the Rams to just say, well, you, we'll, we'll just pretend that the last three years on your six-year deal don't even count. You know, or Aaron Rodgers, you know, he, he fell into that same category. Um, you know, with the power plays the two of them pulled. But, you know, I, I think that's really more the lesson is as a league, as as a as a whole, you know, you you don't want to be looking at these contracts that are even four years. You know, you need to be three years. You certainly don't want to be five. You know, you, you want to be three years on pretty much any contract that you sign. So, you know, the, the three-year thing is, I think, something that more, um, more agents need to really focus on and kind of win these battles with the teams when it comes to doing these deals. Um, you know, I, I think there's been a lot of focus on, well, we need to get these guys a contract after their third year in the league, which is it's certainly important. Um, you know, get those deals done as early as possible. But one of the reasons teams are open to doing it is because it makes it easier for the teams to walk away from the players, you know, a couple of years from now. Um, when that performance level does begin to drop, it's harder to do if you're not signing a player until year six. So, you know, that that's, that's an issue that I, I think the player's side has not paid attention to. I don't think they've paid attention to these trends. I don't think they've paid enough attention to that three-year metric, in many cases being a meaningless metric. Um, and I don't think they've paid attention to the fact that teams are still willing to guarantee the same or close to the same amount of money on a short-term deal as a long-term deal. Um, you know, I, I think there was always a thought that that wouldn't happen, but it certainly has. And I, I think... It's just losing perspective and it's costing certain players money um, with the approach that just is not keeping up with what goes on in the NFL. And, you know, the, the other thing that I'll just reiterate about this, and this is just something that I, I think has just been missed since day one. And I know you're going to say, well, teams will never go for it. So if teams aren't going to go for it, why do we even try? It's like you should be trying. 
one of the things that you can do um, as an agent, and I know this is something that never gets talked about, when you sign a rookie contract, there is nothing that prevents you from demanding a no franchise tag um, designation in that contract. And that would really solve a lot of problems. I'm not talking about getting to a third deal, but just, you know, on the Nick Bosa side of things, um, you know, or why we we take some of these deals because we're fearful of the franchise tag. Um, You know, if you fight for that no franchise tag designation, you know, maybe something can work out in your favor over the long term. Um, I'm I'm a proponent of saying, okay, you know what? We're willing to take a little bit less money as a rookie because you can do that. Unless you're the last pick in a round, you can, you can take a little bit less money than your slot. I'm willing to take less money if you're willing to give me a no tag provision at the end of my deal. Because if I have that no tag provision, I have a lot of leverage over you on an extension to get a three-year deal instead of you asking me for a five. Um, you know, and I have a lot of leverage to maximize my earnings in free agency if you can't come to, you know, to an agreement with me. Like, you know, Nick Bosa is going through this holdout. And again, I don't know what the end game is here for him. You know, you've got this holdout and 49ers can tag him two times in a row. Now, I don't know if the 49ers have find him at all. Uh, I'm going to guess they haven't. I don't know if they still can. I don't know. I don't know the way that works. Um, I'm not sure if they would have had to do that, like right at the start. They probably did. Um, so I, I'm not exactly sure the the way that that works. But uh, you know, if they if it's still kind of at their discretion as to the timing on that, they they might do it if this extends into the regular season. But again, you're kind of costing yourself, you know, a million dollars a week almost. His probably about a million a week. If he decides to not show up and play football. And again, you don't really have a leverage because the 49ers can just say, well, we'll tag you and then we'll tag you again and shake your hand and say thank you for the service after that. You know, good luck. Um, So, you know, this is just stuff that requires planning and everything else. And I don't know. I, I just think this is one of those things that's just being missed completely. Um, by the people doing the the contracts, sometimes it's it's just a miss, um, you know, on the stuff. And you know, maybe some of it too goes down to seeing the way the quarterbacks are, and you know, pegging certain things to certain players. You know, you get focused a lot if you're an agency and you represent these big name players. Um, you know, th- this is really where most of your press coverage comes from is when you sign these guys. And these guys have a better chance of sticking out their deals. But it's like you need to have separate rules for different positions. Like you can take a a longer term deal if you're a quarterback. Um, You know, I wouldn't advise it, but at least there's some logic. You can do it, you know, left tackle, you know, some guard positions. You know, you you can argue it, but, you know, you, you... these other positions you just can't it, it just it, the, the turnover is just too much and you know i always say that you know this is a great example you know tunsil's a great example if uh vj and i ever do get around to uh, crunching numbers part two we say we're going to do it and we will 
Um, you know, Tunsil to me is like a great example of the way things should work if you're a player. Um, just a phenomenal job that he's done. He reps himself, I believe. Um, you know, where if you look at his contract history here, um, you know, what he's done, you know, he was able to leverage his trade um, into a three-year deal that put him at 22. And then rather than having to sit at 22 million for another two years, um, you know, he was able to get a new three-year deal at 25. And I don't know why his effective APY is zero. <laughs> we must have something wrong in there. I'll have to look at his page and, and see. But, you know, he did really well for himself. You, know, you, you look at these cash payouts here. Um, this is when he signed, right? 2020? Yeah. 2385, 16.15, 17.85, then jumps up to $32 million he makes. So, you know, that that's that's the shining example of, of how to play things. But, um, yeah, there's certain positions that you, you can kind of do it with. And if you're a team, it's probably the same thing. Um, you know, there's certain positions where it's safer, you know, to, to guarantee a little bit more if it means you can drive the value down a little bit of the overall length. Um, I'm sorry, the overall price on a, like a five-year deal, um, you know, but that, that's, that's kind of the, I, I think the issues that are at hand here. And I, I just don't know what the end game is really for Chris Jones, because it, it's just, if he was 24 years old or 25 years old, you know, it, it's a very different situation than when you're going to be 30, when your next deal kicks in. So, you know, do I think it'll get sorted out? Probably, maybe even by the time I post this, maybe he'll say, okay, I'm into my holdout. Um, but, you know, it, it's just a, a, a bad situation um, for the players just based on, you know, just kind of what happens up front. So, you know, I, I, would, just, uh, I would just say that, um, you know, if you are representing someone uh if you're a player i i would ask a lot about the three-year deal and how do we get to that number and what are some of the things that we can do um you know to, to kind of improve um you know our standing here all right let me just put out a last call for podcast questions here and then i'll go to the emails let's put this out there um, I'll pull up the cap space numbers here. Let me just do that real quick and then I'll go on to, uh, my emails. I'll do those on the phone again. Um, so the Browns are going to be about 28 million, um, you know, way higher than anyone else. Uh, once I switch over to the top, uh, just to the full rosters, Cardinals are going to be around 17. The Browns are renegotiating, restructuring basically everybody on their, their team. It's an interesting strategy. Uh, it's very Eagles-esque, <clears throat> um, which makes sense. You know, they, they kind of come from the same system. This is one of those things that I suggest that the Jets do, and I don't know why the Jets have not done it yet. Now, we do have a week, so the, the, there's a week left here. Um, you know, my thought on it when with the Jets was you want to create as much room as possible to carry over to next year or to have, you know, at your disposal at the trade deadline, um, you know, so you can, you know, maybe make some moves. 
And I'm a little surprised they haven't done anything yet, but we'll wait and see. But if you look at the um, the Browns here, you know, they have restructured multiple players, um, you know, here where you see all these guys at minimum salaries. But they've already done the restructuring for 2024 for a lot of their guys. Um, they've done it for 2025 for a lot of their guys. Um, they're, they're using these multiple option bonus structures to, uh, you know, basically build these things in, but give them that same flexibility that the Eagles have, or that maybe the Packers had this year with Aaron Rodgers to where those option bonuses are not due until, you know, the summer. So they can cut the guys June one on them. They can do all kinds of stuff with the, with the players, um, that you can't do in a traditional restructure. So that's, that's always pretty interesting. Um, teams down here all need to create cap room, Chiefs, Bucks, Raiders, Giants, Bills, Ravens, 49ers. Um, these are the teams that need to create cap space. Um, you know, the way that it goes, uh, I, I don't even think there's a point in talking about Trey Lance. Uh, Niners drove his value down with the way that they, they kind of discussed him, talked about him and everything else. Um, it's going to go down as one of the worst trades of all time. Um, you know, you, you can argue it and, you know, you, you can talk about a lot of things with it. Um, it's going to be one of the worst trades of all time. Uh, you know, I, I think the fact that they did it as a blind trade is really what the issue is. They basically gave up what you would give up for the top pick in the draft and they did it for a blind pick. And they took a guy who they didn't have the patience to try to work with, develop, and, you know, his value dropped to, what, a four from Dallas? Um, you know, Josh Rosen got a two. So, I mean, it, it just shows you. Now, I think that a lot of teams did not have that high of a grade on Trey Lance. Um, you know, and by not high, I, I don't mean they didn't have him in the draft. Probably second round is where a lot of teams viewed him. Um, but, you know... I think that was, uh, you know, just kind of a miss um, there by them. And that that's going to go down. And you know, a lot of people were bringing up, you know, how San Francisco has still been very good. And they, they have been. They've been excellent. But the, the time frame that the, the trade impacts you is not when the trade occurs. The impact is what happens to San Francisco more so in like 2024 and 2025 than what's going on in 2022 and 2023. All right, let's see. Oh, one thing that I just wanted to mention, and I'm as I went through them actually tonight, um, you know, I realized there's a lot of emails from people that I missed here uh, while I was away. Um, I'll try to answer those this week. Again, sorry about that. Um, you know, just being away. One of the things with Disney, and it's just nonstop. <laughs> there's, there's no vacation to it. There's no, it's just nonstop going, 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 going. Um, and my, I was laughing. Then I put up a picture of the dad shoes on uh, Twitter that we had. And those things killed my feet this year. Um, my wife bought me a pair of Skechers. I've never worn Skechers before. Um, so I got to say, my, my Pete Carroll Super Dad Air Force Ones worked much better. The only reason I didn't bust those back out again this year was 
I, I don't know if there was a defect with them or who knows. Maybe I'm too heavy for them. They were just squeaking all over the place. I something in there popped, um, or came loose or whatever, and I couldn't get it to stop. So I said, I'll try a different pair of shoes. And um, uh, if you're the Skechers, felt comfortable the first time I put them on, um, somewhat comfortable, I guess. But uh, I guess they run very small. So, you know, I, I think I should have gone a size up. Um, you know, I wear a 12. I probably should have gotten a 13 um, with them or look to see if they had something wide. Um, you know, they were tight as could be. The <laughs> back of my feet were bleeding. Um, that, was, that was pretty impressive when I looked down and I said, oh, my shoes are red. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that was a good one there, too. Uh, just incredibly tight in the front just all blistered up and uh yeah th that, that those were a mess so I, I don't know if i'll be wearing those anywhere again uh, but certainly not to disney uh but anyway yeah didn't have a lot of time to uh, to do too many things with the emails so um i will try to catch up on some of those or at least apologize to people that were asking me stuff and um say i couldn't get back to them in a reasonable amount of time here all right Let's take a look at some stuff. Cameron, uh, in the spirit of opening day rosters, what position should most teams invest deeply into and what position can teams go light? For instance, does it make sense for um, to hold a spot for quarterback three, running back four, 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 uh, four wide receivers and four tight ends philosophically as good as six and two? Um, yeah, that, that's a very interesting question. Um I think if if you're getting into roster depth, um, you're trying to look at positions that maybe take time to develop, and saying that those are those are positions where maybe you want to go a little heavier on. Um, now, I guess the question there is to you know can you stash players on a practice squad, um, you know, and get the same out of them? The answer is probably yes on that. So. You know, really, you're looking more at like a 65-man roster or something like that versus a 53. Um, but I, I think, I, I think um, when when you look at the way that teams play, I think you can probably go heavy on your wide receivers and hope you kind of catch lightning in a bottle somewhere. I think you could go lighter on tight ends because they're available in free agency, so you can kind of pluck good players off of other rosters. Um, you know, a lot of times, I, I think, at those positions. Um, I think it makes sense to carry extra um, interior linemen, not because you're going to necessarily use them, and this might be more of a practice squad thing, just that that is one of those positions that does take a little bit longer to develop. Um, same goes for probably corners. You know, you, you can carry an extra couple of um, defensive backs maybe in there that you consider as developmental guys. Um, you know, again, it, it's probably a little bit more for practice squad than, you know, regular stuff. But uh, I, I think, yeah, I, I think you can you can move away from certain positions and you can say that, you know, you know the, these are positions that we really want to try to develop, and you you can look at other spots like a linebacker and say, well, you know, we can always find somebody in free agency. So, why do I need to carry an extra linebacker? Um, you know, when maybe there's somebody else that we can develop. 
Michael, uh, love the show. Thanks for all you do. What are the ramifications of a Jonathan Taylor Holden? Does his contract hold so he can be franchised next year? Would he still be on the last year of his rookie deal? That's a good question. Um, I didn't even think about talking about Jonathan Taylor. It's like a, the never-ending saga. So, you know, I, I don't know. I saw a report this week that they claimed two teams had a big offer on the table for him. I think one of them was Philadelphia. I can't imagine, or no, one of them was Green Bay. I can't imagine with the investments Green Bay has in running back that they were willing to also trade for Jonathan Taylor and pay him $15 million a year. Like that didn't even make sense. I, was, I thought it was the Eagles, um, but I think it was that team. I think the Dolphins might've been the other one. The Dolphins I could see. Packers, eh, I, I don't see that at all. Um, so I don't know what the deal is right now with that. It's a, it's a very oddball situation. There was talk of like him going on NFI. Uh, they kept him on PUP. So I, I don't really know what the deal is there. At some point, they they have to activate him if he's healthy. So they can't just kind of lock him in there. But if he if he still isn't healthy, um, you know, he's hurt. The way that it works, because he's in the final year of his deal, um, his contract would toll to next year. So he wouldn't become a free agent. Um, he would just have the same terms on his contract, you know, whatever his, uh, what's his salary this year? 2.8 or something like that. Or is he at the $4 million level? Um, let me see. He might've been a second round number. Yeah. He's at the four, three number. So yeah, he would just play again next year at four, three, um, you know, and still be on the Colts. Um, so, you know, that, that's the way that his, his deal will work, but it, it's a real weird situation. Like he doesn't want to be there. Clearly they don't want to extend him. Um, so it, it's kind of created this, this weird situation, but I can't imagine there's another team out there that really wants to jump in and, you know, do something big. I mean, we had his valuation last year at three, eight, um, you know, his, what were his numbers? He only played 12 games, 861 yards, four touchdowns. So, I mean, everything is based on past history. And especially at this position, um, you know, teams aren't going to do that. You know, the, the couple of players that signed deals based on past history were like David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, and those were two awful, awful signings, um, you know, by the respective teams that signed those two players. So, yeah. But, yeah, his, his contract will toll if um, he remains on the pup list all season. If he comes off the list, then, uh, you know, it doesn't toll. And meaning he comes off and he's activated, not he comes off, they let him practice, and then they say, no, you can't play. Um, it's if he actually, you know, becomes active again. Uh, Max, wondering if you think we'll see tanking become uh, more prevalent in the NFL. Arizona and Chicago strike me as two examples of new regimes coming in, tearing things down to the studs. Um, do you think these two examples are outliers? Will we start seeing more teams? Um, I don't think so. Um, your career window in the NFL as a front office executive or as a head coach is very short. It's very small. Um, you have a one-year um, pass 
to try to fix your team. And sometimes one of the worst things that you can do in that first year is win. Uh, I know it sounds weird, but you you set expectations so high. Um, you know, the Giants and the Vikings last year are probably very good examples of this. You set the expectations high and if you fail to, to reach those levels the next year, which I, I think for both teams is going to be difficult to do, um, it sets a very negative tone when you go into year three because it, instead of looking at the Jets right now, right, the, the Jets have basically sucked every year that Joe Douglas has been there. Um, but for the most part, there's been excuses that it's been tied to how bad Mike McCagnan was. And, you know, last year was the first year where you started to see rumblings like, well, you know, even though he had these two great picks, um, we're starting to see how every other pick that he had was terrible. Now they've completely flipped the script by bringing in Aaron Rodgers. Um, You know, but they started poorly and they've been able to come up with every excuse under the sun as to why they haven't been good. When you come in and you're good, it's very hard to explain why you're bad the next year and then saying, well, this is part of the process. It's very hard to do because then you get into year three and where a team like the Jets might be able to get a pass on that um, you know, before, you're not going to be able to get a pass on that if you're a team that made the playoffs you know, two years ago and it looks like you've regressed. You know, it becomes very hard to do, um, you know, and to keep your jobs. You know, so somebody's going to be a fall guy. You know, the, the yeah, you know, I know I talk about the Jets obviously a lot here because, um, you know, that that's the team that, you know, I root for and, um, you know, 20 and 0 this year, right? Uh, but, you know, I, I go back to, to where they were when Mike Tannenbaum first took over the team in 2006. It was the lowest expectations that the Jets had had since Rich Kotite's second year. You know, that, that that's how low the expectations were for the Jets that season off of their disaster 2005. Well, the Jets shocked everybody and made the playoffs. Their head coach, uh, Eric Mangini, became Manginius. Uh, you know, all kinds of things about the chess battles between him and Bill Belichick and... Um, you know, this incredible job that, you know, they were doing building this team. Um, Eric Mangini was fired from the Jets in 2009, uh, in large part because 2006 created these expectations um, that were unrealistic. Um, You know, they, they were expected to battle the Patriots for the division in 2007 with this incredible coach um, you know, coaching that they had uh, from Mangini and the um, smarts of Chad Pennington on offense and, um, you know, all these different things. And, you know, Pennington was benched um, during the year. That's pretty early on, I think. Um, I'm going to say Jets finished maybe with four wins that year, five wins. Um you know, they, they were terrible. And then the next year they had to go out and they did the Brett Favre trade and everything else. And Mangini ended up being the fall guy. Now Tannenbaum survived it. Um, but, 
you know, what they came into is a rebuild. They didn't rebuild right from day one. They were trying to. It's not like they were, you know, you didn't want to win. Um, but again, it just set these expectations too high. And it, it kind of hurt, you know, at least one of the two, it hurt them in the long term. So I, I think that plays a role with all these GMs that come in as to um, the way they do it. But I, I think the other issue is, with the exception of a couple of guys, a couple of coaches around the league, a couple of GMs, that when you hear them talk about their expectations for some of these rookie players or, you know, why they make a trade for a player and how that's going to impact them now and everything else, um, with I'll call it maybe four or five teams, the rest of the teams in the league are smart enough to realize that having the number one pick does not guarantee getting the best player or even remotely close to the best player, right? Was Patrick Mahomes drafted number one? No. Where was Mahomes drafted? Like number 10? Something like that. Um, You know, in basketball, most of the time, um, your best players are typically probably top three. You know, every now and then you'll, you'll get a really deep draft where you get a lot of good players, um, you know, throughout. And obviously, if you have the high school guys, like, you know, when Kobe came in and, you know, he was a little bit later on, um, you know, when, when he got uh, he got picked, um, you know, they, they, that that was a little bit of a different era um, back then. But for the most part, you, your top players are picked right at the top of the draft. In the NFL... You know, a lot of times you, your best player is picked like number 10, number 12, number 13. And having the number one doesn't mean anything. Um, so while it's nice to have and, you know, you, you certainly, you know, when, when you end up with Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence at the very least looks decent, you know, you, you always go back and you go, oh, well, if not for that or you know, when you had Vernon Golston and you go, man, if we didn't win that last game, you know, maybe we would have had Matt Ryan. Um, you know, all those things, yeah, they, they all kind of come into play. But, um, you know, I, I think for the most part, you're you're trying to win games. Um, but what you're doing is you're, you're trying to do it in a way that kind of makes sense. I think, I think what you just don't want to do as a new general manager is to come in and have one of these free agent blowouts where you're just like, oh, I'm just going to sign a bunch of guys and, you know, somehow that's magically going to make my team much better. Um, or maybe there's a rare case or two where that works. Um, you know, Buffalo would be an example. Of, and they, they didn't really approach it that way, but they, they've built a lot through free agency there. They've, they've probably done a better job at scouting free agents than almost any team in the NFL, um, you know, at least for the last... Maybe not last year, but uh, for the couple of years before that, um, with the way they built their football team out. But um, I think teams are going to take a more cautious approach, but I don't think you will see anyone intentionally set the bar so low because it, it just takes a lot of spinning um, you know, to be able to, to kind of pass that off as a, a reasonable outcome for a couple of seasons. All right, let's see. Uh, we'll go to Twitter here, and I th- I'm going to pause this to grab another beer because I guess I got a couple of replies here, so I don't know if that means that we'll have a number of questions, so I'll just grab one more to have as a, uh, a backup. I think I have one more beer left upstairs, so let me just pause this and see.
All right, let's uh, let's pull up our podcast stuff here. Questions? Oh, I guess I should have. Well, so th- these are the actual numbers. Uh, let me just run through my feed here. Um, these are the teams and how much they're going to be over the cap by once I uh, go to the top numbers here. And that's uh, Chiefs at nine, Raiders seven, Giants five, Bills through three, Bucks three two, Ravens one six, 49ers eight hundred thousand. Um, similar rosters. I'll probably do this next week since we were actually in the regular season. Um, you know, I'll, I'll run these numbers again because it, there's still some fluctuation with the rosters for the next couple of days. Um, Tuesday is really the day where that hits. You know, a lot of people looked at these and, you know, you get some comments on these, these types of posts like, ah, this is meaningless or this is whatever. Um, you know, I usually look at a lot of these things and say, well, you know, the, you make the playoffs, you keep your team intact, you don't make the playoffs, you do a lot of turnover. Um, you know, you, you can see this, this is about homegrown players or, um, um, you know, how many teams, th- this one that Nick has here is how many teams um, have players um, in the NFL, like Dallas leads the league, 82 players have started their career uh, with the Dallas Cowboys are in the NFL. Um, typically the Ravens and the Patriots are the top two teams and they're still both very high, um, you know, in this list. And it's not, not a surprise to see Carolina so low, Pittsburgh so low, or no, Pittsburgh is a surprise because this has just been, Pittsburgh has been one of these like, um, slow downward spirals for an organization that's been hidden by a coach who just doesn't get the credit that he deserves. Um, you know, he's done a very good job of taking a subpar, substandard roster and, um, you know, being able to to kind of turn it into something. Uh, Jets and Giants at 50, no surprise there. Arizona uh, and Atlanta being low, that's no surprise there either. Um, homegrown rosters, eh, that's about it. Uh, Ryan Jensen restructure. Um, oh, if you want to see, here's Jacob. Getting ready for his football, his first football scrimmage, playing center. Um, let's see. Yeah, th- these are my dad shoes, if you're curious of the dad shoes that we uh, were talking about the other day. So, okay, let me get rid of that nonsense there. All right, let's 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 take a look at uh, some questions here. It looks like we've got about maybe 25 questions, or at least 25 comments. So we'll see if there's actually 25 questions or not. And... Then we will call it a night here. And then we'll, we will be back for football. All right. Does Jacob have any games coming up? That's my father. So uh, uh, Jacob has his first game. Official game is next Saturday, but that's away um, in Roxbury. And they, they've moved that day around. At first, it was going to be a Thursday. Then it was going to be a Wednesday. Now it's a Saturday evening. Uh, I think the week after that is his first home game, and that, that'll be a more firm one. It's probably at 10 in the morning, that one. I think this one's going to be in the evening time, but I'm not even sure. Um, how do the Jets fit Mike Evans under the cap? So uh, this would be one of those situations where, you know, they, they let me see what his salary is. I know I had it up before. Um Evans has a $13 million salary. Um, roster bonus was already paid out. So 
you know, let, let's assume the Jets made a trade. Whoops. You know, five weeks. Um, I'm sorry, not five weeks into the season. Uh, five weeks into the season, not five weeks remaining. Yeah, you'd have to have about $9.4 million in cap room. Um, Jets right now should have about eleven. So I, I think there's two ways you can look at it. Number one would be you make this trade in season. And quite honestly, it makes more sense to make a trade in season, right? You want to see how these guys work out. You know, you, you're convinced Garrett Wilson is going to be your number one. So you really shouldn't need a, necessarily need a Mike Evans. You know, it, it's almost like that becomes a luxury at that point in time. Um, so you kind of want to see where your team is. Secondly, you, you're looking at, you know, how does Alan Lazard fit in with the offense? How does, um, I'm not going to look at Randall Cobb as being much anything, but, you know, can you get something out of Mecole Hardman or is it going to be the same thing in Kansas City where he really never gets, you know, never gets out of his own way and drops passes and whatever else? Um, you know, I, I, I would look at that before you get into Evans. The next thing that I, I think you would look at with Evans is when you're doing an in-season trade, how much money are the Buccaneers willing to pick up on his contract? Um, you know, and that's assuming they don't restructure. Like, Tampa needs cap room. They might just go in there and restructure that deal, which actually drives his franchise tag number lower. Um, I'm not saying they would do that intentionally, but who knows? Um, you know, but one of the things that y you could do is... You know, you can negotiate a trade very similar to what the Rams did a couple of years ago with Von Miller, where you, you kind of have two trade scenarios out there. It's like, okay, this is the trade scenario if you don't eat money. This is the trade scenario if you do eat the money. And, you know, that that's probably one of the ways they can do that. But, yeah, I, I would anticipate that Evans is... Um, at least going to be talked about as going to the Jets, but... I think the Jets are deep enough at receiver, even with Corey Davis's retirement, which, you know, it, Corey Davis is one of those guys where, and I, th I think somebody mentioned this online, um, but it's probably the case that, you know, a lot of this probably stem, maybe the Jets went to him for a pay cut and he didn't want to do it and just decided, you know what, it's time for me to go. Um, you know, that's a possibility. But I think that the Jets wide receiver room, at least right now on a piece of paper, you would say is deep enough um, without Mike Evans to where you can at least wait to see how things play out. Jake, for the Vikings, was Hawkinson an overpay or if you compare the rec uh, receiving and wide receiver production, is it a steal? Seems odd to give two tight ends bigger money contracts to try to get a sense if the uh, front office is competent. So the Josh Oliver contract makes zero sense at all. So let, let's just throw that one out there um you know that that contract is just bizarre um the this one here um you know they, they signed him for seven million a year and valued at about five as just a blocker you know that that's basically all he is and most teams don't even pay that for a blocker you know you, you pay a couple of million bucks and I remember when this deal came out and someone said it was $7 million a year. My reaction was, wait, it's $7 million a year or $7 million total over three years? Like, no, $7 million a year. Um, I was talking with somebody, uh, a front office guy from one of the teams, and I made that you know same kind of comment. And they were pretty stunned at this deal um, when it came down. It was just like, wow, you know, you're 
offering that, he better go take it. Um, you know, that, that one is a, a ludicrous deal. Um, the Hawkinson one, I, I don't know if it's really an overpay um, on it. Like, they're kind of leveraged out because they traded for him, right? Um, you know, it, it's a... He, he's a one-dimensional guy. So I, I think that's actually probably one of the reasons why they went out and paid what they did for Oliver. It's like, you know, you, you have a certain kind of system you want to run and you probably only want to use him as a wide receiver. Um, you know, you, you're getting close to a thousand yards in production, but, you know, th- these are the questions that you get into, you know, is 900 yards of production at 10.6 yards a, a reception as productive as, you know, an equivalent wide receiver? Um, you know, I, I, I don't know the, um, you know, the, necessarily the answer to that. Um, you know, if we, we go and we look at wide receivers that are, you know, around that, well, I can't look at Mike Evans. Um, you know, if I want to look at Lockett, Sutton, you know, he's always hurt. You know, it's like that donut hole wide receiver spot too. You know, it's like Hunter Renfro is like the, the really the, there's like two guys in that spot. You know, Beckham doesn't really count. Hopkins really barely counts. I mean, these are like end of career players. Um, you know, you look at Lockett and, you know, Lockett, you know, Lockett is more productive, I think, than someone like Hawkinson. Um, you know, Sutton, You know, obviously injuries are a concern there, uh, but, you know, probably you can argue the productivity. He's probably more productive when he catches the ball. He's probably, I don't know if less productive. Uh, he probably doesn't create as much opportunities maybe as Hawkinson does, but that, that could also be situation impacted, um, you know, that, that kind of causes that. So, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I, I'd look at it as a overpay. I, I don't look at it like the Njoku one. The, the Njoku was, to me, was more of just like a, okay, we're we're really putting our faith that he's going to take a giant leap forward. Um, and I didn't really care for that. I, I didn't think that that was, um, you know, a wise decision by the Browns um, at all. You know, I, I, I think, um, you know, that'd be, that's just what it is. But I mean... If you look at where he's at, um, you know, he's better than someone like, you know, Cole Kmet, who's at 12-5. Um, you know, he's going to be more productive, um, you know, overall. And obviously we have some mistakes here. I, I got to go back in and fix his deal because I don't understand why that's showing negative. Probably something in the wrong column. Um, but I don't know. You know, I, I think it's a I think it's a high number to pay for tight ends. I guess the question is going to be, and I don't even know who's coming up in free agency. I'd have to go and look. Does this number move the tight end market back up? Um, if it does move it up, because it, it's, it, it kind of was hurt a little bit, I think, by some of these deals. Um, 
if it does actually move the tight end market back up and, you know, you, you get a couple of guys, I guess Kyle Pitts would be someone, um, you know, you, you get a couple of guys that are 16, 17, 18 million dollars a year. Um, you know, you can look at that and maybe say, okay, it's not really an overpay. If two two years from now we're looking at Hawkinson at 16.5 and no other players at 14, then yeah, you're going to get dinged as that being kind of an overpay, um, you know, for you and, you know, how you're going to value your wide receiver room. Because, um, you know, one of the things with this kind of stuff now, and I know you might look at this and you might make the argument like, well, you know, he is under Darren Waller. Waller's deal is very different because he had two years left on an old contract. And um, I don't think anybody really looks at that as a legit 17. Um, you know, that That's just my opinion on that one. But one of the things here is when you're doing a deal with Justin Jefferson, who is legitimately great. And, you know, I've said over and over, you know, I, I think he deserves the first legitimate um, you know, $30 million a year contract for a non-quarterback, uh, non-offensive player. Um, you know, obviously Donald's been there on defense. Um, if you're trying to fight against that, you know, if you're saying, well, that doesn't make sense. Like that, this, the, you know, Jason's kind of a moron, right? For even suggesting that. Um, you hurt yourself when you do these deals. When you look at the market and you say, okay, our legitimate comp that we're going at is George Kittle at 15 and we're willing to jump to 16.5, it makes it harder for you to argue against anything with Justin Jefferson. Um, you know, with the, with the way that you, you kind of do that stuff. But the, and I don't even know if I would call it an overpayment, but the the overpayment that was done was in the trade to bring him in. You know, again, this is what happens sometimes when you go into a rebuild and you're kind of successful off the bat. You make some mistakes. I'm not saying that that was a mistake, but they, they may have paid a little too much maybe in that trade. No different than when the Buffalo Bills a couple of years ago traded for Kelvin Benjamin. Um, you know, when they surprisingly... You know, went to the playoffs in that uh, that first year with Tyrod Taylor. I think it was was still there as their quarterback. Um, you know, and they they traded for Benjamin from the Panthers, and it was like, yeah, you, you got rid of one guy, but now you, you're bringing another one in, and it's just kind of blowing money. Um, you know, and Hawkinson's a better player than that, but just this that same thing. Like, the, you know, did they? Did they make a trade that maybe they didn't need to make at the time and, you know, you still could have gotten that same player for less money if you waited until the uh, less less compensation and trade if you wait until the offseason, um, you know, possibility. So, you know, but I, I, so I, w- I wouldn't say it's an over, you know, overpayment like gross, but I, I think you want to wait and see, um, you know, how it works out for everybody else around the league. David, how much cap space is generally enough to have for injuries throughout the regular season? I think you really want to have um, probably five to six million dollars in cap room when the regular season begins. I think if you have five to six million, you're going to be in a pretty decent position. Um, you know, to not have to go crazy with any kind of restructures. Um, you know, to deal with injuries, and for the most part, 
it's the injuries that occur in training camp where you can't come to a settlement agreement and injuries that happen in week one and week two that really kill you with the salary cap. As you get further and further down the line, when you bring in a replacement, you're not paying the full salary for that player because you're only paying the prorated amount for the rest of the season. So, you know, as time goes on, it becomes less and less important to have that cap room. Uh, can college and NFL players get insurance that would pay them if they have career-ending injuries, if they can't, how much coverage? Millions of dollars. Thank you. Yeah, uh, people take out... Um, you know, policies, I think, all the time on that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I don't know the um, the particulars of it, but uh, I, I do believe that, um, you know, they, they, they take out those. I know they take out those kind of policies all the time. Teams take it out, too. Um, you know, teams take out policies on star players and they cover, you know, portions of their bonus, portions of their salary, depending on when an injury occurs. Um, so, yeah, you know, that that's a... Uh, that's something that you can you can definitely um, you can definitely get, and I, I would think that um, most do when you're you're getting ready to come into the league, or um, you know if you're a player at the end of you know say a rookie deal or um, end of a veteran deal that you, you're trying to get yourself some protection, even though you're probably probably paying a pretty high premium, um, you know to to cover in the in the event that somebody gets hurt. Uh, Proud Black Matt, do you buy that there's a shortage of offensive line talent league-wide? Um, the excuse that fans make when the team rolls out a collection of cast-offs and journeymen on week one. That's like a yes and no um, kind of one. I, I don't think that there is a, a shortage overall of just, you know, of talent. Um I think you can find competent veteran players. I think teams sometimes just don't lean into those players. Like, you know, the, the Texans got a couple of decent players on there that are basically going to be backups on their team. And that's surprising to me that, you know, other teams didn't want to bring in, you know, players that are kind of like, um, you know, probably competent starters but maybe the worry is that they're going to ask for too much money if you start them. Um, you know, I, I do think that there is... I, I think this is more for the future. I, I do think there's a shortage of talent coming through the college systems. I, I think the um, some of the changes in the college system have impacted the, the quality of the player that's coming into the league. Um but you know, I, I think if you if you look hard enough, you you'll always find competent players. Um, I think you just have to look, and I think there's certain teams that just don't value investing um, in the line, and they probably do lean on that as an excuse that there's not a lot of talent out there. But I, I do think the drop off sometimes between you know, say guard number five and guard number twenty might not be that big. Um, you know, even if, uh, name value wise, it looks that way, it might not really be that big of a drop. Connor holdouts and hold-ins were all over the NFL. Please explain who gets fined and who, uh, can have it canceled and why this is happening all of a sudden. So the hold-in has been going on. I did a podcast episode on that last year, at least the thing about it that, you know, teams have to begin to find players for holding in. Like, I don't understand how... 
you can, even if you're negotiating with someone, how you can get to the point where you're just allowing them to say, yeah, my back feels tight and not practice. And then three weeks later, they sign a contract and miraculously, it's as if the, the healer came to them overnight, put the hands on the back and the back magically loosened up and they can play football again. You know, or you know, my, my ankles bothering me. You know, or I, I, got a, I got a hammy that's tight. I got a hamstring that's tight. Wait a minute. I just, I just signed that, that motion that I used when signing that contract. That motion, somehow, it, it stretched out that hamstring in a way that none of the personal, none of the trainers could do. I, I, I can't believe it. Like, I'm healed. I, I am healed and good. Like, as a team, you've got you to gotta stop going into this hold-in being a, a thing. Um, the holdouts this year are something new. I, I don't know really what's uh, what's brought it on. I don't get worked out by the holdouts because I remember when holdouts used to be a thing. Like, some people are like, wow, I, I can't believe that there's, there's a holdout. Like, this doesn't make sense. You got to get them in. It's like, this used to be a thing all the time. Now, you had rookies who didn't sign contracts until September. So... I, I the I don't really know why the holdout is happening, but I know why the hold in is happening. The hold in is happening because no team has really gone out of the way to um, punish any player for a hold in, um, you know, and do anything uh, regarding that. So, you know, I, I think that that is uh, that's one of the reasons why that continues. But the holdouts, um, I'm a little surprised by that one. Uh, they, they've gone pretty deep because the last real holdout I can really think of, like real, real holdout, was probably Cam Chancellor. Uh, I think he went two weeks in, um, you know, and he got fined for his, but I think they did not enforce the forfeiture clauses that they could have. I think that was how that worked out. Um, oh, for the other part of that, I guess, is uh, who gets fined. Um, so Bosa's can be canceled, or maybe they didn't even find him in the first place. Uh, Chris Jones's can't be canceled. The The question there would be, would the Chiefs do something like the Cowboys did with Zach Martin, where you throw a couple extra bucks in the contract um, specifically to cover the cost of the fine? Uh, can you run through the contract structure of Denver under their old ownership versus new? Seems like Gregory and Allen contract should be good uh, comparison points, general feeling on that. Um, I don't think there's enough data to where you can look at that and say that ownership has had a play in it. I think the only thing that you can look at right now with ownership is how much money they're paying the head coach. And, you know, that that probably gives you an idea that um, maybe not so much contract structure, but maybe they'll be way more aggressive with some of the stuff that they do in, say, free agency. Um, you know, with um, with the new ownership and what should be, you would think, a lot more money to spend um, than in the past. Uh, general feeling on him as general manager, I don't know, right now... I don't know how you can like too much that's there. Um, you know, it just, 
I wouldn't say any of it looks like it's really worked. Uh, you know, the Russell Wilson thing has been a blow up. Um, you know, maybe he'll be better this year. Um, you know, I, I don't really have a feeling one way or the other, but I, I don't know how you can look at much that's gone on in Denver and say, yeah, this is, uh, you know, this is a, this is a good thing there. Brian, uh, have you any thought about thoughts on the Jets feature on Hard Knocks, like a new urge to wrap your arms around Gardner and never let it go? Um, I didn't really watch any of it. <laughs> I got to be honest. Um, with all the the stuff going on, the the things I I don't have time for things like Hard Knocks. Um, to me, Hard Knocks peaked when the Jets were on with Rex Ryan years ago. Um, a couple of seasons I watched after that never kind of recaptured that kind of feel. I don't think this year would have even come close to recapturing that kind of feel, especially because they have their own programming that kind of competes with it. Um, you know, and I do watch some of those. I haven't watched a lot of them right now, but those are those are pretty good. Uh, you know, I asked my son one time if he was interested in watching, you know, the, the Jets on Hard Knocks, um, or I, I probably didn't even call it Hard Knocks. I was like, oh, do you want to see the Jets, you know, um, you know, whatever this uh, this thing is that follows him, you know, the, the show that follows them in training camp. He wasn't interested. I didn't really go out of my way with it. I got uh, too many other things going on to uh, really worry about focusing on um, on that. All right, let's see here. Last set of questions. Run out of beer. I don't think I have any others. All right. Uh, the benefits of a holdout for players. Well, the the benefit of it, what you're banking on, is that the team is somehow going to look at it with you not being there, that they're going to feel pressured into doing a contract. Um, the problem is, most of the time, the teams aren't going to be pressured into it. You're not the quarterback. Odds are you're not that impactful in terms of wins and losses. Um, you know, the quarterback might be, he might impact seven games, five games, four games, whatever it is. As an individual player, you impact one, you know, it's not that much there. Um, you know, but that, that's basically the benefit is you're hoping that holding out your services, you know, forces the team into re-signing you. Alex, do you think holding out is an effect is effective for a player in gaining leverage over the front office? Only for a quarterback, not for. I don't think for any other position that it's a uh, it's an effective strategy. Um, you know, I, it's just you you just don't have any leverage. Seth, what's the most cap def- cap effective way to drop Kyler Murray? Ooh, man, that's a that's a good one too. All right, let's take a look at that. So Kyler Murray. All right, so we're talking about a trade. Probably to just trade him next year. There's really no... um, no trick to it. I mean, it's trading him next year. You're taking a big hit. 46 million dead, but that's less than his 51.9 cap hit. Um, that's probably the most effective way to do it. 
You know, it's you just get them off the books next year. You start clean. So even though you're carrying 46 dead, you're not carrying this 51 because your other option would be to carry him at 51, probably have his trade value go down. Um, You know, because if he plays 2024 for you and you're still looking to trade him, it means things haven't gone well for you. And that means they're probably not going well for him. Um, So, you know, at that point, you'd be carrying 51.9 plus another 33 dead. So, you know, your your cap cost at that point is 16 plus 51 plus, you know, 33. Um, and probably less in return on a trade versus 16.46 and, um, you know, being free and clear for 2025. Um, you know, to be honest, ideally... Uh, you know, they, they couldn't, I was going to say you trade him this year. They, they couldn't do that. Oh, maybe they could. Hold on. Let me, let me just run through this. So if they trade him post June one, they'd carry 13, well, they'd really, they'd carry 14 dead this year. might actually be to trade him this year. <laughs> I, I don't think they could find a trade partner. And you, you wouldn't be saving much. You'd only be saving two. So inle- unless somebody really blew you away with an offer, um, it, it would just be trading him next year. I mean, that that's your most viable way out of, um, out of his contract. Black Gold. Uh, you think the Jets asked Ashton Davis to take the Bryce Hall pay cut? Um, I don't know. Um, let me just take a look at some of the stuff here. So he plays a lot on special teams. You know, there there is value to that. Oh, that is such a good question. You know, I would think if they asked him, he wouldn't be on the team. So I, I'm going to guess the Jets looked at this and they, they saw that the value is still there in him as a special teams player. Um you know, we had our value on him last year, 2-8, and that's all special teams value. And uh, I think teams are pretty comfortable with saying that. Um, you know, Hall... Hall is one of those players that has, um, you know, probably declined a bit, um, you know, over time. And, you know, he was hurt last year. And, you know, th- th- this is, you know, this is one of those where the, the proven performance escalator, the, the PA whiffed with not having this thing guaranteed, you know, even if, even if it's a vesting guarantee, like it guarantees, even say April 1st, um, because what's happened here is teams are carrying players. And there's a lot of players that got their PPs wiped out, um, you know, this year in the last week of the preseason. Um, you know, they, they, the team carries you until August and then 
at the last minute, they're like, well, we can cut you and you're not going to find a job. Or you could just stay here and, you know, stick around for the minimum. So, you know, it, it's a dirty way of doing business. But just, I'm just looking real quick. I'm, I'm just going to assume they did not do that. Ghost Vader, will the Jets add another linebacker secondary player? No, I, I don't think so. Yeah, unless somebody gets hurt. I guess I should uh, preface it with that. Does the trend of excess void years build a framework for teams to onboard more high-priced high talent? Um, that's a good question. And I think I'm going to search to see if we have one last beer remaining here. All right, we do have one more left. i got to get my beer fridge back down here. It uh, blew out more than a while ago um, during a storm and stuff flooded out. And that just kind of blew out with um, some of the issues that we had with the, the little bit of, well, more than a little bit of water that came down here. Um, I never replaced it. i got to do that again. And it saves me the trips. Uh, up and down the steps to come down. But uh, going back to the question here, um, yeah, the excess void years definitely builds a framework um, for teams to get you know more players in. And the concept of the void year, and I'm, I'm not 100% on board with some of the voids that teams do. Um, you know, the, some of the excessive nature that they go with, but Cleveland right now is going kind of full full blow into it. Um, but you notice they, they haven't redone someone like a Nick Chubb because that probably doesn't make sense to do. Philadelphia has been that same way. Um, the concept of it is the fact that a dollar today is more valuable than a dollar tomorrow. So it's like if I can, um, if I have to pay... $10 million on a 225 cap um, versus $8 million on a 250 cap when the cap voids, I'm better off paying eight on the 250 and only paying two on the 225 and having that money to spend now than worrying about the future. So that's the concept. And as long as you stagger everything... Um, you know, where it doesn't all hit at once. The problem is when a lot of things hit at once. Like the Saints, I think, have issues where a couple things have hit at once. Um, you know, and they're, they're also just, you know, really, they, they've gone overboard with the stuff. But, uh, you know, I, I think that it, it increases your ability to continue to add talent to a team or extensions on a team each and every year until... Really, the, the, the downside of it is when you hit the real unlucky zone. And that can happen to anybody. And you might say, well, you know, the, the odds are against that. Um, but it does kind of happen. And the more and more that you do it, the more possibilities are that that situation arises. And what, what I mean by that situation is... It would be the equivalent of like when you just have like a disaster of like a free agent class, um, you know, um, you know the Giants with like a Kenny Galladay and a um, you know the year that they did the 
the Vernon Jenkins, Harrison, you know, all those. And some of those are they're good players. They just weren't worth the amount of money that they invested in them. Um, you know, th- those are the times where if you do that and those are the kind of players that you use that with. Like that that happened to New Orleans um, a couple of years ago. They did the, um, no, more than a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, where we're getting into like the Jairus Bird kind of time frame. Um, you know, when you do that kind of stuff and, you know, you, you have a bunch of deals like that, you know, the the odds are they, they may all blow up and, you know, then you're kind of, you know, you're, you're kind of doomed when that happens. Um, you know, that's the, uh, that's one of the negatives with, with those kind of things. And it's always a possibility that that, that can occur. But I, I do think ultimately you're opening yourself up to the possibility of adding more and more talent. And the more players that you can add, the more good players that you can have on your team, even if they're on one year deals, you know, the better your chances are of, I think, competing in the league, um, you know, compared to these other teams. And now, well, again, this is all kind of assuming the fact that you have a decent quarterback under contract. Um, you know, if you don't, it's it's very hard to overcome that kind of stuff. But I, I do think the void years is definitely a way to do that. Um, and I, th- I think teams are still trying to find that balance between, you know, maximizing the void years or being like the Chargers who really tried never to use them. You know, the Lions try to just use one void year. There's there's probably a balance somewhere that's in there, and it might be don't add five, add three. I don't think it's add one. Um, it's a work in progress, I think, as to um, you know how you want to utilize it. But I, I think it's going to require looking at more teams and figuring out how to do that. Uh, Jalen Rieger got claimed by the Patriots. Has that contract tra- contract transfer? Did he get claimed? I thought he signed as a practice squad player. I may not have even gotten to that transaction, so let me see. Yeah, I didn't even get to that. So I actually don't know the answer to that because I'm I'm not sure. So if he got claimed, the contract just transfers over. So um But he's a veteran, right? No, no, he only had three years. Um, I'd have to go back and I'd, I'd have to look at his thing. Um, this was his guarantee from 2023 and 2024 on his deal. Um, if he was claimed... So, yeah, no, he's not a veteran. Um, if he was claimed... This number here for the Vikings would drop to 1.8 million. And, um, you know, the numbers, all the stuff would just kind of go back, um, you know, into that. Let, let, let me see. Hold on. Let me take a look here. Let, let me pull up his contract rather than his just his front-facing stuff. 
and again, I, I don't know what he um, what he actually did or didn't sign for here. Um, I know he was in the last year of his deal. So okay, so the Viking, if he was claimed, the Patriots would be on the hook for two point four million, and um, the Vikings would be uh, they would get a dead the, this dead money number that I have here is two point four one nine would completely vanish. Um, you know, it, it would that that would uh, disappear. Um, so you know that that that's how that would work. But I, I don't think he was. I, for some reason, I thought he was signed to the practice squad. But I, I, I could be wrong. If he was signed to the practice squad, um, and let let's assume that he earns the full amount, which I think is two sixteen this year for a player with his experience level. The Vikings would get a two hundred sixteen thousand dollar credit on their salary cap next year. It would offset um, part of this two point four million that they uh, they owe him. I asked yesterday about the dead cap figures. It cut down seventeen k to seven point three. Is that typical, or is a percentage of cap? I don't know exactly what that's. Um, Okay, I'm going to assume that that's maybe referencing the post that I put up about... Okay, that's probably what it is. So I put up a post that was looking at the um, NFL cuts the other day. First post I had in probably about a month. Um, I didn't tally these by team. Uh, but I'm going to guess... No, oh, I didn't even put that. I put those in a weird format. I'm going to guess that's what this is. I'm going to guess that there were a couple of teams or a team, um, probably the Texans, because they they cut a bunch of guys. Um, you can see them right here. They, they had four of the most... Yeah, they're just a weird run organization. Um, you know, where they probably took on like $7.3 in dead money, and then there's probably a couple of teams that didn't cut really any players that had any kind of prorated money. Um, you know, probably just a couple UDFAs. I, I'm going to guess that's what this is in reference to. Sorry, I missed that. I, I just get a lot of stuff. And so, and I've been so busy. I don't get my Twitter time. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the, those kind of, that spread is pretty normal. Um, what I, and what I mean by that, and, Maybe not completely normal. Let, let me say that. Texans are probably not normal um, with that. I, I would probably look at whatever the second team is. Um, let's say that's $3 million. That might be more normal. Uh, but the low number is definitely normal. That's that the majority of your cuts that occur on the cut-down day are going to be players who are street-free agent signings, future signings. You know, they got no guarantees. They got no signing bonuses. Um, it's going to be UDFAs that got very minimal signing bonuses. So you're not really taking on much dead money when you, you cut those players. Um, those are the majority of cuts. I mean, if you go back to, excuse me, you know, that, that list, um, you know, if you just look at the annual values here, you can see where the majority of players are being cut from. Um, 
you know, again, let's get rid of the, the, the Texans from the equation here. You know, five million, three, five, three, five, three. This is all Texan stuff. Um, two, two, five. And th this was a re-sign. Th this was a cut to hold a roster spot for a day. Um, one, eight, one, seven, one, seven, one, six. And this was a hold. I think this was a hold. Um, one, five. He might have even been back to one, five, one, four. You know, now we're in the the veteran salary benefit guys. One three one seven five hundred. One two three two five hundred. You know, one one six five. I don't know. These are not UDFA's. These are probably UFA signings. I don't know why they're showing up that way. I'll have to fix them. Um, something weird is going on with our system. This is probably something I did. Because um, it's all uh, just a couple of teams, but anyway, the uh, you know you, you you look at a couple of these players here. Yeah, these are supposed to be UFAs. I gotta look to see. I, I probably put something wrong in there. Oh no, I'm sorry. That's just draft round. I'm an idiot. Um, you know, you, you look at all these players here. These are actual UDFAs. You know, that, that's the majority of your cuts are all coming from there. Um, so that's why those dead money numbers are so low. And that, that's pretty typical. But you do usually get one or two teams who cut a couple of guys. Uh, but a lot of times that's just a cut and re-sign. Um, you know, so I would say the 7-3 is probably on the high end. But there's probably every year going to be a team that's at like 3 million or so, 4 million. How does the CBA protect teams from players exaggerating their injuries as a negotiating tactic? So, you know, that's going to be team's discretion. Um, you know, if they want to push the issue, they can push the issue on the fact that, you know, the, the, the players are not practicing and you have the ability to trigger forfeiture and fines and all that. But it, it, to the best of my knowledge, every team in the NFL has been very, very, very lenient when it has come to the hold-in process. And a lot of that is because if you're willing to extend the player, um, you know, you, you're not looking to create a bad relationship. So I, I think that's really the issue, um, you know, when it comes to it. Uh, Carmine, why did the Vikings give Hawkinson that much money? Well, they traded for him. So, I mean, you, you trade for somebody and that's what you're going to do. Um you know, if it moves the market, it's not a big deal. It doesn't make a difference whatsoever. Um, if it if the market doesn't move, you know, then you overpaid. Garbage Pail Kids. What's the deal with Evan's contract? They're saying he's on his last year, but that's not what OTC shows. Um, hmm. Do we not show that? I thought he was on our free agent list, but maybe not. Okay, so yeah, so when you look at the site and whenever you see void, 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 even though there's numbers in there, um, these are years that you're not going to honor on a contract. So his contract voids out in 2024, 2025, 26. Those three years vanish um, on a certain date, uh, maybe last day of the league year. I don't have that listed. Um, you know, so he's only under contract for this year. 
and then next year they'll take on a dead money hit of 12.2 million if they do not extend him um you know for it but th- those aren't real years they're just years there to dump salary cap dollars JP, how long can the Browns keep converting Watson's salary into a signing bonus to get under the cap before it becomes untenable? You have to wait to see how he plays this year. Um, if he's terrible, you know, they're, they're going to be in a really bad situation. Um, if he plays like he did in Houston, they can do it for the remainder of that contract. They can do it for the next couple of years, and then, you know, they're going to extend him um, again. So, you know, I, I think they, they can they can do it, um, but it, it's all dependent on how he plays. If he doesn't play well, then, you know, you, you're going to have to change things up. Yards after contact. Wealthy owners seem to have a large advantage over average owners because they can spend cash today, spread the cap hits out over um, many years. But the cap going up never really suffer any consequences. Should the NFL change the cap rules in the next CBA to change this? No, um, I don't think they should. So the cap is still an effective barrier. You know, Atlanta, for example. Atlanta will spend a ton of money. But Atlanta has been just, their, their salary cap bludgeoned what they could do for like three years. The Panthers used to have a reasonable budget. Their salary cap completely, you know, put a break on what they could do. So I think the salary cap still takes teams that have just made mistake after mistake after mistake and you know prevented them from just continuing to go wild with spending it's it's made them pay um for the decisions that they've made so you know i i think some of those teams have certainly suffered consequences um i do think that there are certain things that are being done by the eagles and the browns that I could see the league maybe frowning upon. Um, really, I could see the union frowning upon upon some of it too. Um, you know, but I, I think um, I, I don't think it's a rules issue. Uh, you know, I, I think this is more along the lines of you, you need to follow trends for what these other teams are doing. But if it's if they're not being effective at all with their their draft picks and their free agent signings and their extensions and, you know, all that stuff, it really doesn't matter because it's going to catch up to them anyway. Uh, Dave, why did the Eagles cut Fred Johnson and then sign him to a two-year contract days later? What was the point of cutting him? Um, I don't even remember that. I do know he signed for two years. Minor guarantee. I think in there. Um, let's see, Fred Johnson. I have no idea. I, I am not sure what procedural reason there would have been other than the fact that they wanted to put a split salary in there. Um, he had a split to begin with. Uh, I have no idea. They may have just needed a roster spot for a couple of days and, um, you know, maybe he had, he had something else he had to go do. 
Um, you know, every now and then those kind of things happen. Like you'll see see a deal come down. You know, just to give an example, you know, the, the, you'll see a deal come down and it'll have like a salary advance in it, which just or a signing bonus. You know, Josh Jacobs got a small signing bonus as part of his new contract. You know, sometimes that's just the, the player um, needing some kind of even even if you're not getting the signing bonus all up front, you're getting a portion of it, you know, within, you know, probably two weeks, say 50 percent of the signing bonus or 25 percent of the signing bonus within two weeks. Um, you know, players just looking to get something up front. You do see sometimes where, you know, somebody needs some time off, you know, for whatever, um, you know, you're getting married or a relative is getting married or, you know, something happens with your family, you know, you know, maybe, maybe there's death in the family or whatever, you know, you, you might need some time off. And from a team perspective, you might say, well, you know what, we can use your roster spot. Look, we'll resign you. We'll let, let's, let's come up with another term. We'll come up with a deal. Um, you know, because I'm pretty sure you can extend a player that's on that veteran salary benefit deal. It's just you you lose the benefit. Um, so I think you can extend them. So I, I don't think there was a problem with that. So my assumption would be that it was, you know, he maybe just needed a week off, needed a couple days to do something. And um, they looked at this as the, the easier way to do it. I, that's just a guess. Uh, Ian, if the Steelers did not trade Ke- uh, Kevin Dotson, would they have received a comp pick after he left next offseason? Um, could the Rams receive a comp pick? Yeah, the Rams can receive a comp pick. He's in the last year. He just restructured his deal, took a very slight pay cut. Um, but they could have gotten that too, depending on what he would make as a free agent. Um, I'm not really sure what he would earn. Um You know, I, I I don't know what they traded him for. Um, whoops. What did they trade him for? Um, let me see if the SI article has it in there. A fourth round pick and a fifth round pick for a fifth and a sixth. You know, considering he just took a a little bit of a pay cut on there, um, they probably wouldn't have gotten much for him. And again, it it blocks you from you know getting someone in free agency. You know, so I think. Right now, there are a couple of teams, um, you know, Arizona, um, you know, would probably be one of them. And you start to question, you go, well, why are they trading some of their players and, you know, not getting this? You know, they, they might get more of a return as a comp pick. They're probably not in a position to get a comp pick next year, um, you know, because of what they have to do in free agency. And, you know, the Steelers probably can't guarantee that they're going to get a comp pick for them. Um, so this is probably one of those situations where that's, you know, what drives a trade for what you might perceive as lower value. Um, the Rams can certainly receive a comp pick, but they're probably going to be active in free agency too. And, you know, unless he has a great year, in which case the Rams are just going to extend him, um, 
you know, I don't, I don't think that, um, you know, they'd probably be in a position where they're going to get much uh, in return as well. Jay Gray, what big name player do the Jets trade for by the deadline? So I've been on this Aaron Donald thing for, uh, I think I mentioned it about a month or two ago, um, that I thought they would be players for him. Now, he has a no trade, if I remember correctly. Um, So I think he has a no trade clause. So you you do have to kind of convince him to do that. Uh, But I, I, I don't know, for some reason... I feel like that that name to me um, really sticks out. Um, where they need the most help is probably their offensive line. I don't think they're going to bring in an offensive lineman. Um, yeah, you can always bring in a safety. You can bring in a, some kind of defensive back as well. But I don't know. Aaron Donald is the guy that stands out to me as um, you know someone that they would be willing to really try to make a power play for. All right, let's see if there's any other stuff here. I don't anticipate it. Oh, maybe one or two, but let's just run through these. I think most of these I've seen. Um... Uh, let's see. Favorite Halloween movie. Um, I don't get big into Halloween. Um, <laughs> uh, all right. This is a great way to close the podcast here. Um, if we're talking about the Halloween series, I guess it's the original Halloween, the first one. Um, you know, much like most horror movies, each one gets progressively worse and more, worse and more ridiculous. Um Beyond that, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm not a big Halloween person. So, um, you know, ne- never have been, um, never will be. Um, when it comes to that, we did go to a Halloween party when we were in Disney. My costume was wearing what I usually wear, which is like a tank top and a pair of shorts. So um, I didn't go with any kind of costume. The kids like to get dressed up for Halloween. That's uh, good enough for me. Um so, yeah, I can't even think of a, I can't even really think of a Halloween movie other than Halloween. Um, off the top of my head, like just something that is centered around, you know, that time frame. And it's never, you know, never anything that uh, interested me. Um, it was Donnie Darko set around Halloween. I, I don't. I'm not, I don't even remember if that was. I might be getting mixed up with the uh, just the, the masks in there. Um, that was a good movie. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, that was many years ago when I watched that, so I'm, I'm not even sure on that. So anyway, on that note, uh, oh, wait, here we go. What is one player you were 100% wrong on? All right, so that one jumps in. Um, I'd have to look back at free agent signings. You know, Demario Davis is probably one that stands out. Um, 
you know, I did not think that that was a good signing by the Saints at the price that they, they paid for him. Um, he turned out to be just an outstanding player for him for many, many, many years. Um, you know, that contract didn't make sense to me in the sense that he went to, I'm going by memory here, he went to Cleveland from the Jets on a moderate price deal, ends up back on the Jets, takes a pay cut to go to the Jets, if I remember right, and then somehow hits free agency and gets a monster raise from the Saints. My thought on that was, wow, what what, what are they doing? But, you know, he's been terrific for them. He's been there for years. He's been one of the better linebackers in the league. Um, so I, I would say in terms of, um, you know, value and everything else, I, that's the player that always kind of jumps into my head as to just being, um, you know, completely wrong on in terms of what his market value was, what his productivity level was going to be. Um, you know, I, I think that that's the, that's the player that to me really, really stands out. Um, have there been others? Yeah, there's plenty of other ones. And, and I know Jets fans are going to want to go with, you know, players that have been drafted. I, I don't ever look at the, the, the players on the draft stuff and say you're 100% wrong on something that's a draft pick. Um, draft pick is a total crapshoot, and there, there's a lot of data as to, um, you know, how you project these things. And e even if you want to look at, um, you know, like a, like a Brees Hall, you know, I mean, the Jets went out and signed Dalvin Cook. So, I mean, what are you moving up for for running back? And I know he got hurt, and that's unfortunate. He was really playing well before he got hurt. You know, you, you went out and you signed a running back. It, it's almost like that negates the fact that you drafted a player. Um, you know, Elijah Vera Tucker has played a season and a half. You know, that's, that's the thing. But um, I, I don't ever look at the draft pick stuff as being wrong on a player because... I don't think I really ever look at those draft picks as like it. In a, I'm, I'm sorry, the uh, or no, the draft picks. I don't really look at them as an evaluation of the player. I just look at them as this is the historical trends with this, this, and this. Um, when it does come to contract extensions um, or free agent signings, um, while a lot of what I do is is based obviously on you know some type of data analysis and historical trends, there is also a, a you know, a, a knowledge of some sort, you know, not, not to the level of, you know, someone who, uh, you know, scouts players or anything like that, but there is a knowledge of some sort of the talent level, um, you know, of a player. And, um, you know, you, you you kind of factor that in into the equation as well. Um, you know, but Davis is one that stands out. Um, player that I thought would be better was Galladay. You know, I, I was a big Galladay guy. I, I always thought Galladay was a good player. But, uh, man, he never bounced back from that injury, ever. Um, now, I thought the Giants overpaid for him dramatically, 
not based on what the market what what I thought the market would be going into the season into the free agent period but once free agency started that year you know the Giants grossly grossly overpaid um but I, I always thought that he'd be way more productive than he was um with the Giants but you know on the on the the other end of things which I think is probably more what you're thinking along the lines of when you say what are you 100% wrong on I think Demario Davis is the uh, is the one that I always I, I always look at and say you know I was very 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 negative on the contract for a number of different reasons and um, you know it's like he's gone above and beyond um, for the last five years for however many years um, you know out in New Orleans um, so I, I think that's the that's the one that will always come to mind for me. And, um, you know, the, the, the player who, who I think really just, um, you know, played incredibly well and way more than I thought he would. And, um, you know, that was probably a, uh, pretty good signing by the saints. Um, you know, that I, I never would have, uh, never would have pegged, um, when that deal came down. All right, so that will do it for me. So we uh, we made it through, uh, oh, I don't know, however long this podcast is, about uh, two and a half hours, maybe, give or take a little bit. So we'll see how that goes. So, um, you know, we'll see how the uh, Chris Jones stuff uh, winds up and everything else. So um, thank you again for listening or for the couple of you who watch, who um, actually watching it over on YouTube. Um, one of these days, you know, if, uh, you actually made it to the end of this and I probably should put this in the beginning, if you want to try to do, I, I haven't done one of these before. And so I can try to figure out how to do it during the course of the season. Um, you know, maybe, uh, maybe halfway through the year is, you know, some of the teams kind of fall out of contention. You know, I used to do a lot of these late night Twitter Q and A's, which I used to have a lot of fun with. I don't really stay up late enough to do that kind of stuff anymore. Um, you know, but one of these days, if we want to do a YouTube live or something like that, if you guys have interest in that, just uh, shoot me an email or send me something on Twitter and um, let me know. And I'll try to figure out how to do that. I had a lot of fun doing a spaces session um, one or two times doing it. It was just, just became a little bit too difficult for me to do. I like to do that stuff kind of on a laptop versus working off my phone. And I, I don't even know spaces uh, works on the laptop. Now I used to run an emulator on my laptop uh, but I had problems recording it. I, I thought I was able to record it right. Wasn't able to do it. Um, but if you want to try to do like a YouTube live or something like that, where I can do your questions in real time, uh, I'll choose a night where I'm not going to get up the next morning to go lift and the or the kids don't have um, something going on on like a uh, Sunday. So maybe a Saturday night. Um, you know, if you think that would be of interest, you know, maybe set, a, set aside... Uh, 10 o'clock to, you know, 1 a.m. or something like that to uh, just do random questions. Um, you know, if, they, if there's interest in that, let me know. And uh, we'll see about doing one of those. I'll have to make sure I have a couple more beers and uh, maybe get the little beer fridge down here uh, set up for that one. But uh, if there's interest in that, I can try to do one of those during the course of the season. Uh, might be fun. Might be a little different than using the Twitter platform to do it or X. I know I called it Twitter all night. I guess I need to call it X. Um, we'll see. So anyway, anyway, 
Uh, thanks very much for listening. And uh, I will hopefully be back again next week. Um, you know, if I'm not, enjoy the regular season. Jets are, you know, going 20 and 0. Uh, I think we can all agree on that one, right? <laughs> so um, everybody have a great week, and I'll talk to you all again soon.